If you were a founder five years ago, sitting in a rural market, working remotely, you were kind of crazy and looked at a little bit oddly, but probably pulling it off and people just thought you were cheating at life. Now, (laughs) you have no excuse not to be prioritizing that exact lifestyle and setup, right? So, and I think that's, the backdrop really is a shift in values and the way society and work is operating. This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, the founders, funders, and contributors, and the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital, and today we are talking about the startup ecosystem in Colorado, but nothing related to Denver or Boulder. Today, we are focusing on a highly active but unsuspected place of innovation, investment, and growth. Today, we are welcoming Corey Finney, Mark Nogger, and Jamie Finney from the Greater Colorado Venture Fund, and we're excited to talk to them about the startup ecosystem in rural Colorado. Hello, gentlemen. Thanks so much for joining us today. To start off, Mark, why don't you tell me a little bit about what the Greater Colorado Venture Fund is? Sure. Yeah, thanks for having us on, Les. Greater Colorado Venture Fund, we like to call it GCBF because who doesn't need another acronym in their life? But we are a $17.5 million fund focused explicitly on working with founders in rural Colorado. Our greater thesis is really proving out here in Colorado how we can make venture capital work for rural markets and hopefully inform broader efforts beyond us. We've been up and running for about three and a half years. Uh, We've invested in 24 companies. Our average check size is about $300,000. And we have had four exits to date. And right now, both on paper and real cash returns, things are looking pretty good. But obviously, as time will tell, and we still have a good handful of investments to keep making. So we're excited to keep the journey going. Amazing. What, what a journey it's been already. Jamie, I'm curious, how did the three of you meet? Because I know you've all been in Colorado for quite a number of years, but how did you all meet and how did this get started? Yeah, we met basically rewind to, I think, 2017. And Corey and I were in the process of raising Cocapelli Capital. Mark was director of the Telluride Venture Accelerator. And as Corey and I started thinking about Cocapelli Capital, that's a pre-seed venture fund that largely invested on the front range where we were based at the time. We were raising this and being from Western Colorado thought there's got to be some folks interested in this startup economies, communities from our hometowns and from the Western side of the state. And so we started basically kind of just like making noise across the Western part of Colorado, just wondering who else is thinking this. That actually wasn't the most fruitful fundraising strategy for Cocapelli, but it did put us in touch with Mark. And so by the time that our first investor of the state of Colorado said, hey, we would like to be kind of the lead investor for this type of fund, we were all kind of thinking about going for that. And Mark reached out and it was kind of, hey, I think we're happen to be the three folks who know this whole market and have invested and know the founders. And should we all come together and kind of form this rural partnership to 
take a stab at that fund. Very cool. And Corey, was the original idea essentially what GCVF became or did it evolve? Pretty much was the idea from the get-go. And that's, we responded to an RFP that the state of Colorado put out. And so they defined what they wanted within a fund manager and they wanted a fund dedicated to investing in rural Colorado. And to Jamie's point, we happen to be a uniquely qualified team filled out the RFP application, went through that process and and won that competitive process for the seed funding for the fund. I mean, the fund itself, as the size of the fund expanded, it was originally going to be a $10 million fund and then it was going to be 15 and we ended up landing at 17 and a half. So that's changed our strategy a little bit on how we thought about you know, check writing and follow on and all the different dynamics you get into in portfolio construction. But I think by and large, it's always been our own selfish dream to get to focus in rural markets and play with entrepreneurs. For sure. I mean, and what an interesting transition. I mean, from you were all based in Boulder, I guess, previously. Well, Mark, you, you made the jump to Telegram prior to this. What does that transition look like from going to more of the, the usual places to invest in Colorado to focusing on a rural strategy? My journey actually brought me down here from Seattle. And then I was in Telluride. And I think really understanding with a lot of the work I got involved in in Telluride, really understanding how different these markets than traditional startup and venture markets. So my background with Startup Weekend led me to running Up Global. We sold that to Techstars. And so I was on the executive team at Techstars, which has arguably been at the heart of both helping foster the last generation of the startup movement, if you will, right? Everybody knows of Boulder and Denver and their role in that and a lot of the players behind that. So that said, we kind of knew that there's a lot of the playbook of how a lot of those ecosystems and communities and models evolved that we could take best practices from, but also tweak them substantially to make adapt and fit for the actual rural markets. And I think what we've seen is very genuinely a great hub of activity and density that got built up around the co-working spaces, accelerator programs that started even before we got going with Greater Colorado Venture Fund. And then since then, we've seen a number of, call it hubs, really pop up around the state in these markets, places like Durango and Junction and Carbondale, right? There's and even more emerging ones in Canyon City. That's a tremendous example. And you see a lot of budding communities and ecosystems that can all at least learn from the playbooks that we've seen in the bigger markets. It's super admirable what you guys are, are doing and how you're you're really trailblazing an, an exciting model. And in some ways, it kind of reminds me of what maybe Rise of the Rest is trying to do on a more of a national scale. But I'm curious, Jamie, where do you think we are in terms of this wave for rural investment? I mean, is this like day one? How are we progressing, you know, both in Colorado and nationally? Amazing to you, but you mentioned the Rise of the Rest because we've often just called our efforts the Rise of the Rest. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. As far as where it's at, I think I think it really depends on where you are. The, I think Boulder, Denver, looking at those is realistically look at Silicon Valley as like the very probably front of some version of the startup entrepreneurship wave and Boulder, Denver close behind and kind of all the obvious tier one developed hubs. Then I think Below that, it's like tier two. And a lot of that activity was starting to really plug into kind of the wider world of startups and venture. And then we've seen like a really mixed bag then behind that. In some cases, you've got Durango where there was very quietly a billion dollar company built 
in like the mid 2000s. Like I think of that as a really equivalent case to even right now technologies in Bozeman where it just happened and everyone's like, wait a minute, are we a startup community now? <laughs> as like the effects of that slowly start to drip down. Can you highlight that company specifically? Yeah, that was Mercury. Yeah. It's kind of turned over into a couple other companies, but uh, yeah, it was, they had like six offices around Durango, an office in Denver and sold for like $1.6 billion in I think like 2008, <laughs> just this wild story that is very quietly, like even back then Colorado didn't have many like unicorns, let alone in town of 16,000. So long-winded way of saying like Durango is starting to plug in really naturally, but it's still in its own way to what's this kind of broader movement. And similar to, I think how like Bozeman and Missoula are doing the same, like they still are not quite the same startup hub and they don't, they're not trying to be, they're just like leveraging some of that momentum created by the more traditional like tier one startup culture. And then you've got totally mixed bag below that. There's, we have definitely towns where they're not really plugged into that same thing. And a lot of our job is just kind of helping work with founders and oftentimes just put them in the flow of information and put their community into kind of that flow of information that could be really helpful for getting entrepreneurship going. And then you also have towns where you're kind of scratching your head. Like I had no idea that like Mark mentioned Canyon city, like we just had no idea that this group was this really plugged in and really well networked. And they are super advanced on that like startup wave and you just couldn't know unless you showed up and got like the tour around the place. And it's a really small rural County that is in the way, like it's on its own forefront of what is a rural version of like startup hubs. What's really interesting to add on to that is COVID also accelerated a lot of this, I think. And we see, we're seeing more and more people choose place and with virtual density, people can work from wherever by and large in the, the jobs that they're building and they can think about building remote teams. And so we had some loosely held hypotheses when we started the fund. And if anything, I think COVID accelerated the move towards some of these more rural communities by and remote work coupled with remote work by at least a decade. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it is fascinating, the pace of acceleration and, and sort of folks popping up in unsuspecting places. What you describe reminded me of a, a recent trip I took to Cheyenne and Laramie, where I think there's similar exciting pockets of, of promising entrepreneurs and founders. What about, Mark, what would you say is really the prospect here in terms of replication? I mean, is this something uniquely isolated to Colorado and your opportunity there, or could this be replicated in other places in the Northern Rockies? There's a lot of dynamics that certainly might be special in, in certain aspects in Colorado. And I think the mountain town dynamic, the resort town dynamic, has helped at least give it a head start, right? Because you have so much density of network and resources generically, as well as just capital, you know, plainly. And that has enabled a lot of some of this activity to really get kickstarted. That said, to Corey's point and what you were talking about with the acceleration, if you're a founder, if you were a founder five years ago, sitting in a rural market, working remotely, you were kind of crazy and looked at a little bit oddly, but probably pulling it off and people just thought you were cheating at life. Now, <laughs> you have no excuse not to be prioritizing that exact lifestyle and setup, right? So, it, and I think that's the backdrop really is a shift in values and the way society and work is operating. And 
I think that's what's exciting and what really does make what we're doing translate and more applicable in many different regions. I, I would say the key aspect there is probably some aspect of a hub and spoke. You can't have in these rural regions, one community have all of the ingredients that are necessary. I think you do need that kind of complement of, of piecing together some strengths and weaknesses to create more of a regional ecosystem hub and spoke type model. That's something we've talked about quite a bit. That's an excellent advice and a, and a great approach. Corey, I know you've worked with lots of early stage founders through, well, you all have, but I mean, Corey specifically, I guess, through your efforts in the Boomtown programming previously. If you were going to meet a founder in rural, you name it, Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, what advice would you give them in terms of get, gaining access to capital, staying put versus moving to a, more of a hub? What, what would you tell them? I think we see it less and less, but some of the founders, when we first started this work, almost put handicaps on themselves and what their business could be. And it's like, well, I'm in Steamboat, and so I can only build a thing that's this, and so so be it. And so I'd say, don't put any handicaps on yourself, and don't use it as an excuse for not being incredibly ambitious and trying to build a really big company. The resources are out there, right? We all went through a period where we were all remote. <laughs> and I think what that did from a capital perspective is it really opened access to capital, not just to in-person meetings. I think VCs and, and so forth are a lot more comfortable now, at least doing initial meetings on Zoom. And so it doesn't really matter where you are. The other thing I'd say is like there's enough data points that you can point to as a founder now and say, no, look, there's been billion-dollar companies built in Bozeman, Durango, being able to point to those use cases. And I think educate yourself around those different company stories so that when you are presenting to an investor, you can say, hey, look, this isn't pie in the sky. This is something that can actually happen. And the last thing I'd say is use it to your advantage. Like if you're a company in Carbondale, what better place to live? It's pretty easy to recruit folks from Denver to Carbondale if you're going to pay them competitive wages and tell them that the team goes biking on Thursday nights and there's happy hour at the local distillery and lean into the the lifestyle that everybody wants to be living and use that to your advantage. I think what that does just from a general founder mental health perspective and employee mental health perspective gives the business an unfair advantage. If you're building something where you want to be you've already knocked out a couple rungs of Maslow's pyramid. And so I think it's a lot easier to focus on things you want to be doing. Yeah. Screw employer bus passes, focus on companies that offer <laughs> ski passes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that ski to work instead of bus to work. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Jamie, could you give us a little flavor on the types of entrepreneurs that you invest in? Lots of types. <laughs> as far as kind of the immediate sort of where do we focus for investing, it's for us seed stage. That is often kind of companies raising like 500,000 to a million. That's a, a pretty normal range for us. And then as far as industries, we've done kind of done it all. We've done B2B SaaS and consumer apps and space, 3D printing, rocket thrusters. And we've done pro lots of products. That's kind of one where Colorado, a bit of an outdoor heavy Mecca. And so we get a lot of products in that realm. And then as far as the founders themselves, I think that is also pretty diverse. Like we have older husband, wife teams, and we've got the young techie crowd and everything in between. One thing that we've kind of found like that makes this really interesting to what we see as maybe a beginning of sort of rural venture capital starting in 
for us in Colorado is that we have just very wide variety of communities and therefore founder profiles from Mm -hmm. just like small towns, really conservative ski towns, more liberal. The you've got mid-sized cities with every different type of orientation mixed in there. Um, so it's definitely kind of all over the place as far as like really the founder profiles. And then similarly, some are distributed, some are like, no, we're, we hire and we have an office and you come to the office and they'll use some kind of like distributed team, but nonetheless, like pretty, pretty diverse. Like I think our portfolio, if you looked at it compared to 10 other traditional seed state venture funds, it'll look a little bit different and it seems to be on track, but it, it, you definitely would notice like, huh, this fund's a... <laughs> This one's not like those ones. <laughs> yeah, difference okay though. It could be fun, right? It, it's really <laughs> fun and fun portfolio. It looks really like, fun yeah. and seems to be a, a good hypothesis baked in I mean, there. You know, one, of, yeah. one of the things that is incredibly common, which I think we're just very fortunate given this market that was you could have guessed at, but never would have. But if you get our group of founders in the portfolio together, right? If you've opted to be a founder, building a growth ambitious company in rural, in a rural market, right? You have a certain value set you've already opted in. And I think that the strength of that common value set amongst the founders, you're an entrepreneur, number one, that's its own set of values. Number two, you're opting to live in and prioritize living with you, your family, whatever in rural Colorado, that strength builds a foundation that I think is has been really cool to watch play out and see how some of our founders even engage and support each other. It's yeah. I feel like within that is such a huge point too of like the founders and how they've opted in already to like I live here now I will start a business and that yeah. mindset is each one of them immediately the I live here is a thing that they have in common with everyone else in their hometown communities. And then now I will start a business part is now something like all of our founders have in common. They're all like in a way swinging for the fences after they chose where they want to live. And that like, that really brings them together from a mindset thing. But it also, I think affects the businesses themselves. Like there isn't like a plan B there's not just like the neighbor company that just raised $50 million and will probably swoop you up. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. Like you kind of need this one to work. And that mentality, I think totally makes the founders in these towns like really scrappy, really good at figuring out profitability and pretty darn inclined not to fail. The unifying strengths are really compelling. It's fun to hear. What about weaknesses or challenges though? Like what are maybe Corey, you could highlight, are there any needs that seem to be consistent across the portfolio that are unique to where you're investing? Yeah, I think what we see the most is, is, Living in, having come from Boulder, Denver, there's kind of just a normal startup lexicon and you say KPI and everybody knows what you're talking about. And there's just this like verbal operating system that entrepreneurs all live on. And that doesn't exist as much in our market. I know Mark and I specifically walked into a meeting one time in Eastern Colorado and the founder, amazing company, he sat down and he said, they said, I needed to meet you guys. Who are you? And I said, well, we're venture capitalists. What's a venture capitalist? And so you're starting often at a different point from a shared language. And so sometimes we have to bring a lot of education around that. And that's something we focus on is every couple of investments, we get the companies together. We take them through a mini accelerator workshop over a couple of days so that when we call and say, hey, did you hit your KPIs this month? There's no head scratching. Everybody's aligned on a common foundation. The other, I think, unique thing to our market is finding service providers who've worked with high growth companies. 
and the nuances that come with that. And so that's something that we find ourselves often still engaging service providers in, in our case from the front range, Boulder, Denver area to come in and plug in and be that A plus player for the A plus company that's being built in Durango, for example. Are there industries, verticals that you see as like Eastern Colorado or rural Colorado being a perfect, perfect landing place for to attract entrepreneurs and new founders? I mean, you can come up with some like micro themes and there's certainly some great efforts. Montrose, Colorado has the Colorado Outdoors Group and they've got this giant campus, which is all in an opportunity zone, a tax incentivized zone where there's an anchor company called Ross Reels Mayfly. If you're into fly fishing at all, you've probably heard of them. And so they're kind of the anchor company building out this kind of commercial industrial park and a hotel and everything else and trying to get a bunch of startups and going to have an accelerator incubator. So we definitely have some of those centers of gravity. So if you are very entrenched in an industry, I would say, and you're a founder in rural or looking to be in rural, like certainly look for those, but I wouldn't let that stop you if you don't find one of them. Because again, back to the broad swath of, we see a ton of different types of companies all over the place. And the rhyme or reason has more to do with being a founder who opted into living and prioritizing quality of life in these places than it does for anything else. I think there's more themes maybe on like the business dynamics that we could cut across. I see Corey violently shaking his head, so he might want to chime in there. <laughs> business dynamics. <laughs> <laughs> I think to Mark's point, like maybe this is a VC cuss word, but profitability is a thing that we see across a lot of our companies. Not impossible. I don't believe in <laughs> What's the point of that? <laughs> How could you don't need my funding? If you're, that's inconceivable. Like I'd say by and large, the entrepreneurs, you know, as you mentioned, I've been fortunate to work with a number of entrepreneurs across the state and all types of different companies and founders in our market are incredibly capital efficient by and large. You have your exceptions, but you know, there's no like $5 million and then I'm going to figure out what to do with it. They show up and it's like, here's exactly what I need and here's why I need it. And here's where it's going to get me. And I find that level of conversation is just really enjoyable to walk into as a VC. It's, it's often a different dynamic than I think we get in some of the more metro markets where the default is I want to start a company. I need a half a million dollars. And that's not necessarily the default for our founders. A lot of them are six years into the journey and they're just learning that there is venture capital out there that could be helping accelerate their growth. So very different, I think, comes with a set of principles. And this is kind of back to what Jamie touched on and what Mark touched on. I think that just comes with a set of like human principles that end up driving often really healthy business behavior. One thing less, yeah, which like, might be valuable to kind of hit, to pull on this thread a little more, like I mentioned, we've had four exits and... Of those four exits, we've seen a number of our companies kind of exit early by VC standards. And some of that could be certainly the market and the timing of COVID and kind of things are just wild right now. But I think some of it could also be a lot of the founders, I think, are looking at it and saying, I don't need to build a $10 billion company to achieve my goals. Right. And I think this kind of all ties all the way full circle back to the value set. But I think as long as we can enable investment structures and programs, right, like those are still amazing wins and they can be amazing wins for the investors as well as the founders and the employees and the communities at large. Kind of right sizing the outcomes is really the point there. 
Yeah, it's fascinating too, because it's breaking the model, but in a very good way, right? I mean, it's better for the founders, better for your LPs, better for your fund, better for the ecosystem. It's net better. More sustainable. (laughs) That's for sure. More sustainable. Yeah, exactly. That's perhaps a better way of describing it. Are you seeing any out-of-state interests? Like, is anybody's eyebrow raising in the direction of how do we get in on this action as well? Yeah. Every other week, in a way, we kind of find ourselves connected with some group somewhere that has some interest. Either they're maybe doing something already and we're just comparing notes or places that are, hey, we're starting to coalesce around our entrepreneurial community and we want to know how to think about building the capital ecosystem alongside the larger ecosystem. So we've definitely had lots of conversations around that. Usually just, yeah, states kind of all over the U.S. and sometimes like micropolitans as well that are just finding that like our quote-unquote rural Colorado market is maybe more akin to a playbook that just applies to their locality compared to trying to recreate Silicon Valley. On that note, Corey, I'm, I'm curious if you could shed some light on what role color, the state of Colorado has played. Because when Mark described the commitments to your fund, he mentioned Colorado. It seems like that was a pretty bold move. I'm curious, what, what role has Colorado played in, in your success and the success of the ecosystem? They've been a huge part of our success. I think the, the state entity in general seeded our fund. They're the largest investor in the fund and have been an amazing partner. And I think to have a program in place to support venture capital in creative ways is amazing and pretty forward thinking. So the fact that existed at a state level was a win. And then I think beyond that, if you just look at the state of Colorado, it's a really fun sandbox of all different types of communities. You have everything from an Aspen to Sterling, Colorado. And what comes with that is totally different, like socioeconomic profiles, different political profiles. Like it's really this like fun purple sandbox that we get to play and experiment in. And so I think just having the makeup of Colorado be what it is has, has allowed us to, to get to run a bunch of different experiments and get to learn what works in different types of communities. Cause there is not like one prescription. You don't walk in a community and say, okay, this is exactly what you, there are some common characteristics that we can touch on that, that I think communities need to be able to have a foundation for entrepreneurial creation and thinking, but what you need and, and how you interact with the people in a very like rural Eastern Colorado town is very different than what's needed in some place. that's a little bit more established with some resources like a Telluride. And so figuring out, Colorado has been a great sandbox to, to get to do a lot of that experimentation. One of the common threads that we've seen, and this is an exciting indicator for us, I jokingly call them uppers, downers, and outlets. When we go into a new town or community that has coffee shops, a local brewery or distillery, and then outlets, someplace for people to go and play, exercise, whether that's a trail system or the CrossFit gym everybody loves. Those are the, like the foundational blocks. I kid you not, when those come into the town, can do a 180. They end up being the foundational blocks for, for human connection, which brings about idea creation and collaboration. And then before people want to start making money off those ideas and companies are born. So it's really it's fun to see communities start to latch onto that and start to find their own identity through those avenues and channels. Uppers, downers, and outlets. I like it. I, for, for sure, I thought outlets was going to be power. <laughs> Plug a machine. That's not that important. Yeah. That's yeah. Wi-Fi. <laughs> Wi-Fi. Yeah. Uppers, downers, outlets, and Wi-Fi. So yeah, for sure. Very cool.
Back to the listeners and the founders, what are you guys looking for in them and what you want to invest in? I'll take a stab at it and then Mark, see if we agree. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We've agreed apparently 22 times so far. For us, there isn't so much like a founder profile that we can kind of say, this is the type of person, this is the type of business. We have like those high level heuristics where we just have to do the math on, does this, is this company seeking like an exit that works within our portfolio and is that what the founder also wants some of that stuff, but then drilling into like the human side, we find like our job almost to try to just understand the founding team and try to figure out, like try to track them over time. It's kind of that, like you have one interaction and that's the first data point. And then you have another interaction and that's the second. And you kind of add those up and you start to see like the progressive progress over time kind of creating lines out of dots there. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing. It's less like there's one profiler, one key trait. There's so many ways for a founder to be a badass, awesome, impressive, ambitious founder. And we just have to like be open-minded to figuring out like, is this person kind of unlocking that within their founding team and within themselves? And honestly, as far as like more practical advice, it's on us to, I think, be extremely available. We do a lot of travel. We but try to make ourselves extremely easy to contact to kind of start off those interactions. But also we just encourage founders to do updates and you can be on like day zero. Like you're haven't even written a line of code, haven't even made the prototype, but if you're starting a, a business and you think you're maybe going to need funding, reach out, get in touch, add us to your updates and those updates don't have to be geared towards investors. They don't have to be have like an inherent reason to exist as much as you're just like building an army as you build a company. And people love to meet founders and love to understand like what you're trying to create in this world and how they can help and just get in the practice of doing those updates. We've had plenty of times where we receive those and we're wait a minute. Like I've been reading a few of these month after month and we should really like dig in more here or even companies that we've passed on and then they just do their updates. You're like, wow, this is so disciplined, so consistent. And I can literally see our concerns and feedback making its way into the cockpit of their business. And we're like, maybe we're wrong. And like, that's totally happened too. So that's kind of the most practical piece of it. One, I'll just continue to build on it because I do actually agree, Jim. But just to build on that and get kind of specific into, in, into like the right types of capital, for your company in the stage that it's at. I think we've really uncovered that capital gets generically bucketed and people just say they need money, right? Every entrepreneur, the number one thing they say they need more of is money. But a lot of the education that we do is, okay, understanding where your business is at, what are the areas of capital that you do need and what are the specific uses? If it's for inventory, equity is like probably not the best or most certainly not the most efficient. And it's absolutely the most expensive thing you could do to fund inventory, right? And so we end up working with a lot of companies to understand, kind of look at their balance sheet, look at their projections, where does equity play a role? Is Do we as a seed fund, does our equity fit that need, right? And I, and I think that kind of coaching and then the beautiful thing it's also driven is more alignment and participation from other capital players. And I think we pulled that together 
this year when we hosted the greater Colorado pitch series and we host, we had four different tracks and there were two debt and two equity. So an early stage equity, a later stage equity, and then an early stage debt and later stage. And so the ironic thing is there was definitely some crossover, a couple companies that we had already invested seed equity into were then pitching for the growth debt. Right. And so helping just kind of highlight that there is a continuum. It's not about any one capital player or any one type of capital right? It is, it really is an ecosystem, even on the capital side. And as an entrepreneur, it is your responsibility to be really thoughtful and seek advice early on about what are the right types of capital and appropriate types of uses and get good feedback there. And I think that will help you be really successful, not just getting money, but finding the right kind of partners to help you grow your business, period. Yeah. Getting money is just the beginning, right? <laughs> it's, your great, it's great advice. Yeah. It's not a I metric mean, of success. It is not a milestone to hang your hat on. Yeah. It's, it's great advice for, for founders anywhere, obviously not just rural Colorado and not just the Rocky mountains. So that's great. Corey, anything to add? Do you agree with Mark? <laughs> <laughs> just say yeah, no. Usually, usually <laughs> we want people who have the humility to understand that and the self-awareness to know that entrepreneurship is really hard. Like you're signing up for the most lonely job in the world as CEO of a startup company. Being able to ask for help and being able to take feedback and being able to look yourself in the mirror and have hard conversations and hold yourself and your team accountable, like that takes a level of humility. And I think that's really important to, as a characteristic. And yeah, I'll tell you, it's fascinating to me too, because to hear you guys say that, because the, the three or four founders that I've met from your portfolio, Western Rise, Agile, InFocus, Rever, I think those are the four that I've met. Unbelievable people, unbelievable human beings, just the most impressive, some of the most impressive founders I've met. And it's consistent, right? So it's like, that's my experience of your portfolio. So I think that that says a lot about your, you guys don't just say it on a podcast. Podcast. It's what you're doing. You're investing in great people. So well done. We'll pay you later. The last question I have uh, related to the Greater Colorado Venture Fund is, and I'd love to hear each of your perspectives, is where you go in the rest of 2021 and beyond. Happy to start there because it's a fun one. We, just, Like every company that we advise, we encourage them to take, do like offsites, create space for unstructured conversation, especially with your call it founding leadership team, whatever it is. And we just had ours the last two days. <laughs> and so we're coming out, our heads are spinning. We've been talking a lot about where it goes and what it does, but there's a core element of figure out or just double down on the things that we know are working, right? That's the obvious point. And then beyond that, really viewing ourselves as capital entrepreneurs and looking at what are the other gaps that we still bump into in this market that we do have a long-term interest in figuring out how to solve. And so I think there's plenty of ideas on the whole spectrum of what we could be doing wearing that capital entrepreneur hat. I don't know, Jamie, Corey, feel free to launch into anything more specific. I mean, I think that's it. We've got a seed fund and I think we're, pretty psyched that it seems to be working and it's bought us the opportunity to keep doing that and in our market and keep having this like stupidly lucky life we live of living in these towns that we love and being VCs, but also being in a new market just means we've, we also just get to see like firsthand all these other wild opportunities that are kind of capital 
opportunities or capital related opportunities and doing that in a market like this, where it really is kind of more carte blanche. We had, there's a lot of opportunities that you can like uncover, I think in new and emerging markets, because not everyone has been indoctrinated towards like seed series, a series B series Z exit angel invest maybe consider becoming Zach. a VC partner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we made it way too far without saying it. So yeah, I think like just being in a unique market and being kind of a first mover in our market has, it just always like gets our wheels turning around a bunch of the other sort of capital entre- opportunities and really opportunities to keep like supporting unlocking entrepreneurship in our communities. Uh, we're pioneering venture capital in rural America. And I think that there's a ton of opportunity to continue to, to help other communities, not even just within Colorado, explore and figure out their own identity and what works for their community. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity ahead around hopefully enabling other folks to, to have opportunities to do similar work to us. If we shared all of our plans right now, you wouldn't invite us back either. So we got to keep going. <laughs> all right. There'll be, an inbo- there'll be an invite in your inbox as soon as we're done to tell me all the secrets, secret plans. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being on the show today. Can you please tell our audience where they can find more about you and the Greater Colorado Venture Fund online? Yeah, just greatercolorado.vc. There's a form at the bottom. And if you fill that out, it will go to all three of us and we'll be happy to to be in touch if any of this piqued your interest or is relevant or want to swap notes or whatever else it might be. And then we're on all the socials as well. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to our podcast page at nextfrontiercapital.com to get links and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop. We'll see you next time. Thank you.